This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Protesters clashed with police in Shanghai on Sunday night as they staged a demonstration against China's draconian anti-Covid measures. Sporadic protests have spread across the country, including in Beijing and Wuhan, as residents demand an end to harsh lockdowns. Some reportedly called for the removal of President Xi Jinping. A fire that killed 10 people in Urumqi, the capital of the western province of Xinjiang, has focused people's anger. Demonstrators there blamed Covid restrictions for slowing the response of emergency services. Snow and freezing temperatures descended on and around Kyiv, Ukraine's capital, where millions of people have only limited access to electricity, water and heat. Russian missiles have damaged much of Ukraine's energy infrastructure. Meanwhile, the head of the state-run nuclear energy company said there were signs that Russian forces might be preparing to leave the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which they have occupied since March. Melanie Jolie, Canada's foreign minister, unveiled a new 2.3 billion Canadian dollars, 1.7 billion dollars strategy for the Indo-Pacific on Sunday. The plan aims to expand Canada's military presence in the region to counter, quote, disruptive Chinese influence, as well as diversify trade. Canada will also tighten up its rules about foreign investment in the country to try and stop China buying up its minerals. Tens of thousands of people marched in Mexico City to show their support for Andres Manuel López Obrador, the country's president. Mr López Obrador organised the rally to mark his fourth year in office, but it is also probably an attempt to show off his popularity. He has an approval rating of nearly 60%, after his plans to reform Mexico's electoral system triggered protests. Supporters of Imran Khan, the ousted former president of Pakistan, on the outskirts of the capital, Islamabad. It was Mr Khan's first show of strength since he survived an assassination attempt earlier this month. The former cricket star called off a planned march into Islamabad for fear of causing havoc, he said. Yauri Museveni, Uganda's president, extended the quarantine of two districts in central Uganda to try and stop the spread of Ebola. Mubende and Kassanda are regarded as the epicentre of an outbreak of the disease that was declared on September 20th. They will now remain locked down until December 17th. The strain of Ebola circulating in Uganda is rare and has no proven vaccine. Football World Cup. On Sunday, Morocco shocked Belgium, FIFA's second-highest-ranked team, with their third-ever victory in a World Cup. Despite struggling, Costa Rica triumphed over Japan with an 81st-minute goal. Germany drew 1-1 with Spain. The former are now the only team in their group not to have won a game. And fact of the day, 800% the increase in Moderna's share price since January 1, 2020. The vaccine maker is the second best-performing company in the S&P 500. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Fury mounts over lockdowns in China. 
Residents of China's cities returned to work on Monday after a weekend of widespread protests against draconian zero-COVID measures. Frustrations with months of lockdowns spread after a fire in Urumqi, in the western region of Xinjiang, left 10 dead on Thursday. Many blamed COVID restrictions for hindering firefighters and occupants who were trying to escape. On Saturday night, demonstrators in Shanghai called for President Xi Jinping to step down, an extremely rare show of defiance. On Sunday night in Beijing, crowds sang the Internationale, a French socialist anthem, and mourned the deaths in Xinjiang. Students at several university campuses held up blank sheets of paper to highlight China's lack of free speech. China's rulers hate instability, but they're in a bind. The country is gripped by its biggest COVID outbreak yet. Elderly people are made more vulnerable by low vaccination rates. Many Chinese people are clearly furious with public health rules. Reintroducing restrictions will probably spark more unrest. In with the old at Disney. Staff of the Magic Kingdom will gather on Monday morning for a virtual town hall meeting with Bob Iger, who began a second stint as chief executive a week ago. Mr. Iger ran Disney for 15 stellar years before stepping down in 2020. His successor, Bob Chapek, had a tougher time and was booted out on November 20th after quarterly results showed growing losses at Disney+, Plus, the company's streaming service. Mr. Iger will now try to steady the ship in two years. Investors are glad to have him back. Disney's stock has risen since his return. And staff are mostly pleased that Mr. Iger is undoing a centralizing strategy initiated by Mr. Chapek, handing power back to Disney's creative teams. But the difficulties at Disney and across Hollywood run deeper. Streaming is undermining the cinema and cable industries, and turning out to be less profitable than either. The new old Bob will need more than new old ideas. Judicial Nominees on the Senate's Agenda On Monday, America's Senate returns from its Thanksgiving break to debate the Respect for Marriage Act, a bill that would strengthen rights for same-sex couples. It will also consider some two dozen nominees for judgeships on federal courts and may hold votes on two district court nominees. Both are women, Camille Velez-Rive in Puerto Rico and Anne Nardacci in New York. That is consistent with President Joe Biden's previous appointments. Of the 85 judges he has seated so far, including Ketanji Brown-Jackson on the Supreme Court, just 21 are men. Nearly a quarter are African-American, and two-thirds are non-white. The Democrats' marginal majority in the Senate allowed Mr. Biden to rapidly usher nominees into robes. If Raphael Warnock beats Herschel Walker, the Republican candidate, in a runoff election for Georgia's seat on December 6th, Democrats will walk away from the midterms with 51 seats to the Republicans' 49, meaning Kamala Harris, the vice president, will no longer be needed to break ties. This could speed things up further and embolden Mr. Biden to put forward more progressive nominees. The real election gets going in Chicago. 
Monday is the last day when candidates can file to run for mayor of Chicago, dubbed the, quote, real election by locals after the midterms. Lori Lightfoot, the incumbent, is expected to wait until the last moment to do so. To participate, hopefuls must present at least 12,500 signatures from registered voters. The most successful traditionally manage many times that. In the 60s, Richard J. Daley, perhaps the most powerful American mayor, filed 500,000. Ms. Lightfoot, who sees herself as a successor to Harold Washington, the city's first black mayor, once said she had, quote, the biggest dick in Chicago. But she faces a tough re-election campaign, having come under fire for her policies on crime and policing, and her supposed neglect of the downtown. She will also be competing with at least six other candidates, including Jesus Chuy Garcia, a combative Mexican-American congressman. Chicago was once famous for, quote, machine politics, but established politicians can no longer mechanically turn out blocks of votes like before. This election is anyone's game. AI outplays humans again. Artificial intelligence has already trounced humans at backgammon, chess, and go. Now it can routinely win at diplomacy, which for some aficionados is a true marker of game-playing ability. Diplomacy, which sees players scrap for control of a pre-First World War Europe, is a very human pastime. Play demands collaboration, but also allows for double-crossing. In a paper recently published in Science, researchers at Meta, Facebook's parent company, explain how they created Cicero, a program that could play diplomacy and win. It ranked in the top 10% of players in an online multi-game tournament. Like all AI game-playing projects, Cicero learned through reinforcement, making more selective moves as it was rewarded for positive outcomes. But diplomacy also requires players to communicate with others well enough to implement their chosen strategy whether treacherous or truthful. Thus, Cicero had to be trained to speak like a human player, using vast sets of language data. That it did so successfully proves an ability to negotiate, convince, cooperate, and compete. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday which TV streaming service is named after the NBC logo? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Washington Irving, who died on this day in 1859. Little minds are tamed and subdued by misfortune, but great minds rise above it. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. 
and subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.